Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to You Know It's Fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. I am your host. My name is Brian Breaker, and welcome to the show on this fantastic, uh, I guess, late weekend for 4th of July. Um, always a fun weekend. It's on a Monday this this year. Um, I imagine that's good for everybody as we go into uh, episode 78 here, because you know, everyone's off work, right? At least everyone living in America. I sometimes forget this is just an American holiday, of course. But, uh, you know, I think Fourth of July is always a fun one. Uh, of course, it is hot, which I know uh, my good friend Big Underscore Bane is not a fan of that. But uh, fireworks, cookouts, all that good stuff, it's usually a good time. So hopefully you guys are staying safe and having a great Fourth uh, of July. And uh, hopefully you get a little bit of entertainment here if you choose to check out the show. My guest this week is C.M. Burnham. This is kind of an interesting guest to have because I've known him, I feel like, since I've been in wrestling in some capacity. But I never really knew him well. It was always like very much a, uh, like, hey, how's it going? Didn't really know him that well. And then uh, the last couple of years, probably around 2018, I would imagine, I uh, I did commentary with him a couple times, and uh, he really carried me a lot. Uh, that because that was su- such a new thing for me to do. I was asked to do it. I'd kind of stepped away from wrestling. I thought, yeah, I can do commentary. Doing commentary is different than people probably think because I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be good. I wanted to be good at it. I wanted to have something to say and and add to it. And you know, ideally, I've always heard Jim Ross say he's adding the lyrics to the to the song and trying to make it better and that's kind of the the take i i took with it and so we dive into that you know burnham's been around pro wrestling for many years so it was really cool kind of getting his perspective on everything um as much as he travels and everything he does within the wrestling business so i think it'll be a, a fun podcast for everybody and again you know he's another guy that's his journey's different than than mine or if i had a wrestler on like you know i have a wrestler coming up. Yeah, Johnny Proof on last week. I have another wrestler coming up uh, uh, next week. So we all have different journeys. And I think having guys like Burnham, and then last year I had on the Kingpin Mike Isles and guys like that, it's it's always a different it's a different journey. And to me, that's really what makes uh, this show so much fun. So um, I'm not going to take any more time here on the open. I'm going to kick it over to my conversation with the one and only C.M. Burnham. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining me here in studio this week, the one and only C.M. Burnham. What's going on, man? Hey, it's great to be here, Breaker. Thank you for having me. This is... Uh, First time podcasting. Uh, well, I, you know, the, the rumor has it, there may have been one other time that some things were said, but actually a couple other times. But first time with you, and yeah. in this situation, normally we're 
broadcasting stuff together. Yep. This yep. time will be an interesting opportunity to talk with each other. You know, I've I've actually told people, and I don't even know if you know this, but I actually really relied on you in that in that setting because when I was asked to do commentary, I'm like, sure, never done this before. Yeah. So this was a totally new thing for me, uh-huh. and and trying to think of like, okay, I need to know stuff about the performers, you know, things that I think you don't necessarily think about and that people may take it for granted, you know, that they don't know anything about it and they just jump in, oh, yeah, I can do that. But if you haven't tried, you don't know. Yeah, and I've been in the situation where I've worked for promoters and if a regular broadcast partner of mine has not shown up, um, I've literally had the promoter say, oh, well, uh, look around the room. Hey, you, come here. We're going to put you up there on commentary. And sometimes it's really amazing. Like, sometimes sure. it's true. This is how we got Travis Falhark to, to a certain extent was Tim Rockwell had to put out a call because X-Cal didn't show up for a show. And um, he put out a thing on Facebook saying, anybody want to get their hand, you know, at, at commentary? And he was brilliant and is just absolutely incredible. Um, other people... Not so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nathan Sensation, if you're listening, sorry, dude, but not not the not the staunchest of uh, of commentary guys. And uh, who? Oh, Tommy Tommy Smash. <laughs> oh man, yeah, just just Mumble City, uh, and and there wasn't much to work with there. But others, you know, have been in and out. And you're right; it's a skill that a lot of people overlook. Um, a lot of what I do that's not directly in-ring related is a skill that people, the promoters just kind of overlook and they think, oh, we can we can put anybody with a microphone and they'll announce. We can put anybody, uh, you know, out here. They just and, and they don't realize how important some of those things are to the whole presentation. Well, I think it's almost like the special effects in a movie, right? Does it yeah. make a does it make a movie good? No, but if that's bad, that's all you focus on. Yeah. And I, the thing I notice with wrestling, from my perspective, being in ring, the one thing I see that for whatever reason gets relegated down, like ah, oh, it's not that big a deal as a referee. Absolutely. And I, and I yeah. think if you don't have a good referee, I mean, I've been there. Yeah. They can destroy everything. Yeah. And yeah. and I think an announcer, a good announcer, that's so important. And when you have all these things together, it does make the show better, which well, is the the idea, right? 100%. Absolutely. Uh, those peripheral people, the people that, that don't necessarily sell the tickets. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't. In, in those roles, mm-hmm. nobody's coming to see me. I, I have friends of mine who are like, I want to come see a show. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just doing commentary. And... I, and I think them to see. Yeah. I think they also think because they see it on TV, they think the commentary's broadcast, <laughs> yeah. and it's not. And so they're like, "Well, how come we can't hear you?" Yeah. It's like, "Well, it's commentary. Right? It's for it's for the YouTube or whatever it is for later right. on." But it is it is so important to the whole presentation. Referees can kill a match or make a match. We've we've both oh, yeah. seen and and been involved with situations like that. Uh, and and just something as simple as a ring announcer. I man, they're. I know it was so normal Then there are promoters that have been in the state that have simply said, I need a voice uh, with a microphone in their hand. You go out and do this. And, and they have just picked so many people that are wrong at times because as a fan sitting in the audience, I want to hear what these people's names are, not just because I want to document it on my website, but because I want to know who is this person. And if you put them out there, and all they've been told, literally one ring announcer, all she was told was, go out and be loud. <laughs> and she screeched. There's no other word for it. She screeched her announcements, and I couldn't understand anything that she said. It was, yeah, it was very, very unfortunate. 
Did you get thrown into that announcer role? Because I, I remember back in the day seeing you as a fan, and then I feel like in, in years later, you kind of I've seen you as an announcer. I've so, seen you as a manager. Kind of like almost like a – I don't want to compare you to Mike Isles, but, you know, in the same regard of you can fill many different yeah, voids. Yeah, the, the, the comparison is, is pretty – on my end, it's fine. I'm sure Mike will take some issue with it, <laughs> but he'll he'll have some comments. I'll be getting that. a text as soon as this <laughs> drops, you know. <laughs> no, um, so I I came in. I was a fan. I uh, I was documenting um, Oklahoma wrestling results and sending them into a woman named Georgianne Macropolis, who was the head of the Bruno San Martino fan club, but also more importantly to me, uh, had a page on OneWrestling.com. Who and she was a big supporter of independent wrestling nationwide, and she would post the results. Right, and somebody found those results and created a website with those. And uh, Rocco Valentino, who owned OPW, um, he thought it was me who who made this website. So he got a hold of me and said, "Would you like to type something for our website? Uh, would you like to do a call, fan perspective column? And would you like to send stuff into Pro Wrestling Illustrated? Here, I'll show you how to do that." And that was kind of my first little toe in the door of stuff. I mean, I wasn't backstage or anything, but I was working to help the show in that respect. And for a long time, that was what I did was I wrote for my site and I wrote for um, the websites of the various companies, OPW, OCW, SRPW, TPW, NWA, Oklahoma slash Universal, whatever. I think even briefly for ICW when they had a website. Uh, I wrote for all of those places. Um, I... My first ring announcing, so my first thing was not ring announcing. Actually, I'll, I'll back the story up. My first official paid gig as in the wrestling business was not ring announcing. It was commentary. Uh, Chris Fox, who owned NWA Universal and would run shows in Tahlequah and Muskogee, usually back-to-back once a month, uh, he contacted me. He had bought advertising on my site. And he, out of the blue, I do not know to this day why he got this idea, but out of the blue, he sends me an email, says, I'd like you to come in and do commentary on our next show. And does he even know? Like that he, you, uh, he knows like, me. He's met me, but he doesn't know anything about my background. I have a, a small amount of broadcasting that I did in, in college for an on-campus radio station. Okay. Um, and, that's, and I have a, a, a performance, like a minor in theater, so I know how to do do this type of stuff, but he doesn't know that. All he knows me as is the guy who writes the stories and, and posts them up there and keeps the records of the stuff and all that. I'm, I'm the face of Oakland fan. That's all he really knows me as. Sure. So that's why I'm so confused, even to this day, about why he suddenly said, do this. And my response back to him was, thank you, sir. Wouldn't it be a better idea to just have me come in and do one match just to make sure I don't suck at this? And he's like, oh, no, no, no you'll be fine. Mike Isles will be there and, and he can help you out. So I showed up. Uh, Fox was not there at that show. Uh, I don't know why he was. I don't remember why he wasn't there. This was October of 2006. But um, he wasn't there. But his second in command, who's, uh, uh, who's named Charming Charles, he was an old Tennessee guy. And he immediately took a liking to me because I was the only person in the room who knew all these old Tennessee wrestlers from the 60s and 70s that he had grown up watching because a lot of them made their way over here and worked for Leroy McGurk. In, mm. when they either, either finishing up in Memphis and coming over here or vice versa, whatever. Um, so he would throw names out to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He did this and this and this. Oh, oh you're just great. I love you. So, um, 
So they put me on broadcast with Mike Isles. I'm supposed to do color. I ask him, do you want heel or face? And he said, oh, let's try out as a heel. Okay. This is not natural to me. Okay. I'm not like, like I watched lots of wrestling. I know how heels are supposed to sound, but I've never done this before. Right. And at the same show, um, the timekeeper didn't show up and the bell ringer, apparently that was a separate duty, didn't show up. So not only am I doing commentary for the very first time, but I'm having to ring the bell and mark the time as well. And well, at least you get paid three times, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was how it works, sir. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, welcome to independent uh, wrestling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and after the first match, and Isles is really kind of dragging me by the nose here because I've got my mind in so many different places. Mm-hmm. After the first match. Um, I I lean over to Isles. I'm like, something's got to go here. I I can't I can't concentrate on all three of these things. I said, let's just let's cut the heel. Let instead of being Gorilla and Bobby, let's be Mike Tanay and Don West. I'll be Don West. Just toned down. <laughs> and he said, okay. And we went with that. So it was face face commentary. And really, as long as I was doing color with Isles from that point on, which really was not very much, um, it was always. Uh, face-to-face commentary. Mm-hmm. And then anytime after that initial run with Fox that he and I work together, he's usually done the commentary and he always wants to do heel commentary and, and that's fine. I, I have no problem um, flipping that around and working there. So yeah, my first job was in uh, broadcasting. I did ring announcing. The first ring announcing gig I did was also for NWA Oklahoma at a show in Ada and this was when Al Farat owned NWA. And I don't even remember exactly how I got that gig. Um, it may have been me talking to him and and mentioning that I was interested. I, I, don't, I don't, honestly don't remember. But, um, but I went down there for that show, and the main event was Spoiler 2000 versus Matt Riviera. And it was the very first time that Riviera ever worked face, ever, apparently. Uh, and I don't remember anything about the match, it was, except it was generally a good match. Um, and that was my first ring announcing thing, but I didn't get to do ring announcing or broadcasting very regularly, because like with Fox, he'd do the back-to-back shows, and then he was gone for a month. And I always remember feeling for like the first, I don't know, four, six months, however long we did it, that I'd get to the end, like the main event of the second show, and I'd be like, okay, I feel this now. I, I know mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. And then it's another month before I can do it again. It's like starting all over again. I got to throw that in there because when I have done commentary, and it's just been a handful of times, but it took me, I always felt like three or four matches to kind of get my rhythm. Yeah. And once I kind of got it, I'm like, okay, I, I, I feel it. But then I don't commentate again for months sometimes. Yeah. And a lot of it's my schedule, you know, and I, and I understand that because I'm not available all the time. But it is it is one of those skills you almost need. It's just as much as being in the ring. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of constantly do it to get better at yeah. it. And now, now, I mean, I've done it so long. And I did it so regularly starting in 2012, going down basically every other week down to Lawton and doing three, three and a half, four hours worth of stuff um, that yeah, I can take months off and come back in and to drop right in and I know mm-hmm. as long as I know the stories then I know exactly what to say and when to say them generally um, but back then I started picking up uh, commentary gigs at 
as many places as I could because there really weren't a lot of places doing commentary, and a lot of them were doing live commentary to the crowd. And I hate live commentary to the crowd. The people don't realize how cringy that it is until they see it. It is horrible. Now, it's amazing to me that it, that it was a thing for so long because I realized very quickly I, that it doesn't help my skills because I can't... Like, I know, you know, if you get a simple scenario where... Referee is distracted. Here comes somebody from the outside. They've got a chair, a belt, whatever. They're going to hit the baby face. It's all done. I can't talk about that on the microphone because, duh, they're going to hear me. Mm -hmm. So I had to just kind of be quiet or vaguely say things like, oh, what the heck? Oh, come on. And, you know, just as, as, as super vague as I could be until such time as the dastardly deed was done and, and we're mm -hmm. supposed to go on to the next spot. And I, I detested that. But I did that in Muskogee for TAP. I did that, uh, I think I did it once for UWE. Um, and the only other place that was doing standard commentary was down in Oklahoma City, uh, which was Sooner World Class. And I would try to get down there as much as I could. And I, I loved that building. Um, and I, I would go down there when I could. But again, it wasn't, I couldn't do that as frequently as I, I wanted to. So there was a, a period of time where it's very, very stop-start mm -hmm. commentary-wise. Uh, but I was picking up more opportunities to do ring announcing. So that was kind of where I was thinking I was focused. I was ring announcing down at, in Oklahoma City at Mid-South and trying to pick up where I could other places. Uh, and then uh, Mike, too, let me join in. He already had two ring announcers, so why not add a third? Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, honestly, Mike's philosophy was always with those positions. He wanted to have multiple people in case something happened to one. And that's an actually that's actually a really good idea. And again, it's something that you don't because you don't, you don't think, really about think about for ring announcers. Like you have three or four referees on a show, a big show, a WWE show or AEW, whatever. But you got one ring announcer typically. Mm -hmm. And what if something and, comes up? Yeah, if something, especially something last minute, you got to scramble. Mm -hmm. But Mike was always like, "Let's have two. And so I, I worked with again. I think Isles was managing by that point, but I worked with. Uh, a girl named Jamie, and I worked with a guy named Steve Schatzman, who also did a lot of refereeing. And then they kind of, oh, and there was some other guy, a friend of Max McGurk's, and I can't think of his name right now. He looked like Drew, Drew Carey, and I just, I'm blanking on his name. Um, and and they kind of went by on, on their ways, and so then it became me for a long time, and I was kind of the sole guy until CBC uh, transitioned over to doing a ring announcing. And, and then I stepped aside to do commissioner stuff and we brought Tuck Davian in uh, and Tuck and, and CBC kind of carried compound to the end of the Mike 2 era in there. So during all of that time, like how often are you traveling to these shows? Like, I mean, it's Every gotta weekend, be pretty much. Does that ever get tiring to you? Um, I mean, because full disclosure, you work a you work a regular yeah. day job. So that means what every Friday and Saturday for sure you're on the road. And then, you know, Monday morning you're back at work. Right. I mean, that's got to be, like, when, like, when do you rest, right? Right. And I don't think I realized how uh, tired I could be. It was, like, so it, it, a lot of it depended, honestly, on um, on what I was seeing and what I was doing. If I was going to shows and I wasn't really excited about the shows, then it was a drain on me. Um, going down to Lawton was usually not a problem. Coming back from Lawton, because we usually didn't get out of there till 11.30 or midnight, and it's a three-hour drive back up to Tulsa, 
that was a pain. And mm-hmm. I, I want to publicly, in case he's listening here, I want to publicly apologize right now to Mark Wilson for the many times that I rode with him and slept for two-thirds of the ride back up because I I just, I was tired there and you were driving and you knew how to keep yourself awake. And I, mm-hmm. if, if it had been me, except for that middle passage, which I which I drove, uh, we used to break it up by by uh, rest stops. You know, we'd, mm-hmm. we'd get to, to one that was pretty close out of Lawton and then we'd switch and I'd drive up to the city and we'd go to this one that's the southern port of Oklahoma City and we'd switch out and then he'd drive all the way back to Tulsa, which was really kind of a dick move on my part because I should have driven that because he has to then go all the way back up to Missouri. Mm-hmm. But I was, my, man, I was just, I was not, I was not going to make, I was not going to stay awake for that. Um, so I was, I wasn't, I didn't realize how tired, how tired I could be until I didn't do it. Right. When the pandemic hit. Sure. And all of a sudden for two months, I'm not going to any shows. And is that almost like such a, a weird, it, like stop? Yeah. It really is. And even now on the odd weekend when I don't have a show, you especially don't... on a Saturday, like coming up this weekend, I've got UWE on Friday, but I don't have any show on Saturday. There's nothing running in the state on Saturday. And it's almost like, what do I do with myself? Like, what do I do with myself? <laughs> yeah. I've got Saturday night. What do I do? I've got plans, but I it's, it is weird just knowing that I don't have to go to wrestling and I don't have to, to schedule that time in there to be there. I know when I kind of stepped away from wrestling, it was very much like that where it's like, what do I do now? You know, and it's it's a it's a weird feeling sometimes. But I think sometimes, too, with wrestling, we get so engrossed in it that that's all we do. It's all we think about. And that's who we are. We're in the business. And then, you know, all of a sudden you step back and you realize, like, you know, you go into a show. Maybe you don't want to be there. And you're like, why did I agree? You know, why, do I, why did <laughs> yeah. I agree to this? You know, because yeah. it's easy to agree to something. And then it gets there and you're like, damn, I don't want to go. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, – and I don't – it just – I guess it's part of who we are. But, I mean, but burnout is also very real in this industry when you're doing it as often. Because, I mean, you're everywhere. And yeah. so and, – and I know it, at times there's got to be those certain weekends where you're like, I really don't want to do this. There there can be uh, – it, again, it, part of it depends on where I'm going, what I'm doing, how I feel, just in general building up to that. Um, I've I've learned – now, after such a long time, I've kind of learned the priorities of shows in my head, who I want to work for, mm-hmm. and who I will take a booking for if there's nothing else that's available for me. Um, and I, I still, I mean, like, if I didn't want to be busy doing this, I, I would just say, you know, okay, I'm done, because there's yeah. nothing holding me here except this desire to, to document and promote the state and wrestling in the state as a whole. Um, but I, I have enough connections now that I probably could step completely away and just rely on promoters to send me stuff and, and handle it that way. So I still I still enjoy being generally being at the shows, but there are cert- definitely certain shows that I'm much happier at than others. Let's talk about Oaklefan because okay. that's something that's I know you've been a part of. Uh, did you start that website? That is a very common misconception. I did not. Um, a guy who is in the business, and I will not use his work name because he actually doesn't really want that connected to his character, but his real name is Steve Fulton. Uh, Steve Fulton is the one who actually started Oaklefan, and I never saw the original one. Um, I, I, it completely bypassed me, but I saw the second version, 
uh, and the second version was a GeoCities site. Wow, that's well, yeah, see, that's, yeah. <laughs> this was we think I th- so I met Steve in two thousand two. I think he I was we were introduced by Brent Albright's wife because she apparently had known Steve and had happened to catch him saying something like, I want to build a website about Oklahoma wrestling, but I really don't know a lot about Oklahoma wrestling because he's not from here. Mm. And in her mind, she was like, ooh, I know this guy who knows a lot about Oklahoma wrestling and came to me and I was like, yeah, I don't know anything about computers and, and programming. And she's like, look, come here, come here. Let me introduce you. You two talk with each other. And so we did. Um, so he built the original and then brought me in when it was the second one, when it was the GeoCity site. And all it was was some title histories and a place to promote upcoming shows and then, what was his name? Um, there was an NWA world champion in 59, and I am completely blanking on his name, although I can see his face right now in my head. And he lived here in Tulsa at the end of his life, and he passed away. And I was like, I want to write a brief, just a quick little blurb about this guy and his standing in the wrestling community overall. And post that on the site. And that was where Steve said, oh, you know, posting articles is kind of a good idea. Hmm. So then we transitioned to version three, which is probably the, the version that most people first saw. And it had a place for articles, and I had to learn a little bit of um, MySQL coding. Simple, but but I had to learn it. And it had a place for title histories and... Uh, that's where we started to add the bios, and that's when we brought in Mike Isles. And Isles and I worked feverishly on creating all these bios for all these wrestlers. And that by that was definitely 2004. Um, and then somewhere along the line, he built Steve built version five, which is the version that you currently see. But all of Steve's knowledge of computer programming stuff is self-taught. And that was kind of the extent of his understanding of SQL. And I think that some other things, like every once in a while he tries to explain this to me and it's very computer tech language-y and goes just far enough over my head that I'm like, okay, I, I believe you and, and go on. <laughs> um, but I think he said something like uh, the, the requirements for building the site exceed his knowledge combined with the fact that you now have to build um, – sites for multiple platforms. You have to build a desktop version. You have to build a mobile version. You have to have, do all of these type of things. And it's it's too much for him to invest his spare time in and do correctly. So V5 is what we have. And I'm hoping eventually I can convince him to go in and try to fix some of the bugs because there are a few bugs in it. But basically, it documents what I want it to document. And it serves as a resource. And I have people talk to me about it Um quite frequently uh, about how helpful it is when they're trying to do certain things. Um, so, yeah, I was not the original, but people think of me as the, vo- as the face of it because I was the most vocal out there saying, here's this site and you should go and do this. I think it's it's a very interesting thing, especially if you were in this state and were wanting to become a worker. You have pretty much a reference material for all the, the companies mm-hmm. that were, you know, that now forever more or less, ones that are currently active, ones that were are defunct, upcoming shows. <clears throat> match card results. I mean, there's a lot of information there that I think sometimes gets that kind of like swept to the 
to the curb a little bit? I mean, do you not agree? Like sometimes, it, uh, sometimes people like people don't appreciate it for what it is. Oftentimes, they uh, it, not until it disappears. Um, yeah. When, when like, hey, what happened to that? Yeah, yeah. When the site crashed, then I would start to get the messages. Hey, and that's when I I realized that people do actually check on this thing. I used to have a, a way to look at that, but that was like with V four, and it didn't transition over to V five, so I just didn't really think about it. Um, but yeah, that would start to get the messages of hey, such and such is wrong. Hey, it's displaying this thing, and I'm like, okay, I'll get hold of the code, mon- code monkey and get them to fix this. Um, so yeah, it, it, that's what I want it to be. Like I, my my college degree is in history and I have always mentally approached Oklafan as a an historical document um, I want it to be something of a, of a record so that people can go and see how rich of a history we have um, in the state and then also how connected we are to other places, uh, especially for guys like you and for Brent, when you and Max, when you guys were, were often developmental or like Brent, you know, making it on to the main show. Um, that was that was really the thing that like spurred me to create one section in that weekly column of the scoop that I do where we talk about results from all these places around the US and the world. Because I wanted people at that point to be able to say, here's Brent Albright. And Here's this. Here he's doing all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. cool. Here's Brian Breaker, and here's the stuff that he's doing. Here's Max. You know all this, and, and, and whoever we've got wrestlers from Oklahoma, um, whether they're legitimately from here or not, and, and many of them are. We've got wrestlers from Oklahoma in many other states. I, we just I met one last year who works up in Iowa. He moved up to Iowa. He's from Broken Arrow, and his name is JT Energy. I never heard of him before until he came back and worked a WFC show. And that's when we found out he was from here. He's working every week up there, uh, mostly for a company called SCW Pro. Mm. And he's one that I put up there and promote in there uh, in the scoop as well so that people can be aware. We've got these people all over the place, and they're getting work, and they're representing our state, and I'm really proud of that. Oklahoma wrestling has a certain reputation to it. That's what I've heard. And... Uh... <laughs> I've I've oftentimes felt like that that was somewhat unwarranted and and here's my my thought a lot of people are like oh Oklahoma wrestling's bad it's this or that and I'm like I don't really think it's so much that it's bad we just have I feel like there's a lot of promoters that were out here that would for whatever reason not use good talent okay and I never understood that have, and I've, obviously you've seen a lot of it now there's a lot of good talent out here mm-hmm. there's also a lot of bad talent yeah. out here and I I've never understood the like some of the gripes because I'm like man in if you live in Tulsa, you have like on a what a thirty mile radius. You could hit at one point or another five or six different sure. companies. Like not many places have that. Yeah. It's a good it's a good thing. But but then there's like those you know certain companies that book guys that you would never book in a million years. Right. And I and I've always tried to wrap my head around that because I never understood it. It's good. There's also a lot of headbutting amongst the promoters around here. That's de- definitely true. Um, so to address the first question that you're asking there, I think a lot of it boils down to two things, um, three things maybe. Uh, a lot of the promoters here, um, at least when they start out, I'm not, I, I think this weasel goes away after a while if they can last long enough for it to go away. But a lot of promoters here have that mentality of, well, I'm not getting what I want in X Federation, mm. so it's tax time. 
I got a bunch of money. I'll buy a ring. I'll rent a building. I'll get a license. And I'll book my friends. And maybe there's a reason that your friends aren't getting what you think they deserve. But now they've all come over and so now you have a confederation of these friends. And sometimes the quality is a little questionable. I'll be kind and say questionable. Um, Also, there's an issue of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very difficult. I mean, in this state especially, uh, as compared to, say, Texas or Kansas, uh, I know Missouri is probably worse to a certain extent than we are if, now. If I and if I remember correctly, Dan Geyer told me in, in Missouri he actually had to license as a ring announcer and a timekeeper. You have to license as a timekeeper? Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, there's a ring announcer's license. I had what I started with. It, but it was... You pay money to the commission and whoop-de-doo. But yeah. I well, I mean, it. and as you know, in this state, I'm not trying to knock anybody. You know how many times I bought a license and never got it in the mail? I've heard that. And, and, I, and I, I'm i like, I can't say for sure that the commission just pocketed the money. Right. But I bet that's what I'm thinking. Possibly. You know? I never had that problem, but I heard it from many, many, many people mm-hmm. that, that they never received their license. And now that we can't even get a receipt, um, it, it's uh, there was like a situation uh, in April where – uh, we had to restructure a car a card pretty quickly because two guys on there didn't have their physical license and had never received their physical license. And yeah, yeah it's it's kind of insane. Especially now, I talked to one of the commission reps and his mentality is like, why can't we put this all on a giant database? Yeah. We've all got these ability to carry this information around. Put it on a database. The like a, like come, a spreadsheet, right? And yeah. They have their, their driver's license. You show the driver's license, they look up your name, it shows whether you paid or not, and boom, you're done. It's super simple. Nobody has done it, and I'm not completely certain why. So, um, yeah, so the 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 money issue as a whole is, is difficult. Um, like, you know, Johnny Z funded IZW with a lot of money that he gets from his other businesses, primarily from his pawn shop businesses. And he sunk a lot of money into ICW, um, building up that arena, getting HD cameras, getting deals with uh, streaming online streaming places like GFL TV and such. And, and that was great um, as long as the fans kept coming in. Eventually, that's kind of what led to its demise was the fans stopped coming around. But money is definitely part of the reason, you know, because it's hard to draw top dollar, dollar talent if you aren't willing to put out some top dollar money. Sure. Um, I think one of the things that's overlooked, quite honestly, in this state is that if you go, like, you trained with Harley. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people could go down to Texas and they could work with guys like uh, like a Black Bart. Um, or they could work with, I'm just, I'm kind of blanking on, on big name former Texas guys in that North Texas region. But there's, there's people down there who, who were national or at least extremely regional big, big names of people who understood what it was like, like a, like a tugboat or not, uh, he's dead, uh, yeah. Chaz Taylor, mm-hmm. like a Chaz Taylor who was on TV on, on ESPN. Okay. We don't have that here. I mean, there are people here who could fill that position. But for whatever reason, they either choose not to or they have tried and it hasn't worked the way they wanted it to. And so they're like, never mind. And so we don't have the the people who can pass on that particular level of knowledge consistently to the people coming up about, um, about the business and about how to uh, – to, 
elevate yourself up to these these better standards and to draw more money in the situations where you can. So I think it's those three things. It makes sense. I I want to touch on something you brought up about like uh, one guy's not booked at a, at a company. He's mm-hmm. upset about it. So he gets some money, gets his own ring, his own building, books his own shows. And that usually doesn't last, right? Uh, not long term, no, because he either runs out of money there, he discovers that it, the problem might be a little more personal than he thinks. Um, or uh, there's like venues are hard up here. Mm-hmm. And I. Like, people don't realize how lucky the people in Lawton were that John had that building and and had that building for such a long time. Uh, or that the Underground Arena in Oklahoma City was available through Rick Garrett for them for such a long time. Up here, like, the last... I mean, Perfect Practice was, was leased, but I know it was pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, the last, like... And then, and honestly, I mean, I've yeah, been in there. You've been in there. It's not it's not the hottest ticket in town as far as a building. No, but, but it served a purpose. But it was also it was easily it was an easy find. You yeah. know, fifty first and Sheridan. Yeah, pretty easy to find cross and, street. And, and but better, it's in a back room of a, of a sports complex. And it was a better venue than so many places. Like, I don't know what your experience is, but I, I know that when I've kind of introduced people into the business and had them go on on travels with me to various places. After doing this for a while, I noticed, like, in Oklahoma City, so much of what I know of Oklahoma City is pretty pretty sketchy territory <laughs> mm-hmm. because rents are cheap and so we can get in there. Up here, um, they're, you know, uh, the the Oakhurst Fire Department is not exactly the greatest place to, to run, uh, to do anything, but people ran there. SRPW and uh, TP, or, uh, Compound ran there briefly as well. Um, and because it's easily available and low to no rent if you have connections. Um, but it didn't have air, didn't have air conditioning. Yeah, and not a great yeah. building. I, yeah, but I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah, but it's it's almost like hey, we can actually set up a ring in here. Let's do right. this. You know. And so as long as as those type of things were available, then people would find ways to to get in. But those those aren't really as as easily available now either. Um, and so you have to shell out for the venues and that's where a lot of people when you put money into the venue plus money for the the show fee to the commission um it's it's a lot of stuff up front that a lot of these people just don't are able to maintain because they don't draw people in um they draw their friends and family mm-hmm. and that's about it and that doesn't contribute financially to a lot of things and oftentimes the friends and family that i've noticed is like normally if you do one show, you can usually get a lot of friends and family there, but are they coming every week or every month? Right. Probably, probably not. Or that number is going to decrease right. each time. So, I don't know. It's it's weird because I, I feel like the thing I hear a lot, and I'm sure you have as well. If you mention like I do wrestling here in, in Tulsa, people are like really there's wrestling here in Tulsa. Have you ever heard that one? They'll say that, or they'll say, "Oh, you mean that that thing downtown, that Mexican restaurant?" Sure, that's that's what they know as the wrestling in Tulsa. But yeah, they don't know. They don't know WFC. They don't. They didn't know Compound. They didn't know SRPW. They don't know Core. Um, and that's it's, and it's odd, right? It is to me to me because like I'm pushing this stuff every. It's there's a section on the front page of my site that says. Here's the Fed, and here's the city where it is, and here's the bell time. And it's there for a month's worth of shows. And I see online, and I know online advertising only reaches so far, and you shouldn't rely on it completely. 
But I, I see. Mean, I, people, I agree. You still need a hang poster. Yeah. yeah. But I see people pushing online stuff, advertising their stuff, and I know that that Tim, especially for WFC, goes out and and he's one of the few who really takes that promoter's role and is willing to put his his feet where his mouth are, and that no no pun intended there, because he will personally go out and put the the flyers in the places and on the cars and try mm-hmm. to do what he can to to make people know. And yet, yeah. And so many people who, like, came into the business, Isles would say, I didn't know that there was, that the LPW existed. Mm-hmm. And they had television commercials during yes. during Raw. Sure. Okay? Um, and, and he said, or else I would have gotten in way earlier than I did. I remember seeing the commercials, but I didn't want to be a wrestler. And I didn't think, for some reason, that I could come in and do other things. Because in my mind, like... All the referees, or most referees, were former wrestlers. The managers were primarily former wrestlers. I was like, I'm going to have to train to be a wrestler, and I don't want to be a wrestler in order to get to do this other thing I want to do. So I, you know, there's no reason for me to try to in, in, enter in in that perspective for a long time. Um, yeah, people's awareness is very lowered, um, despite what we think we're doing, to try and, and draw the attention in. And I'm not sure, again, unless it boils down to money, uh, I'm not sure how to remedy that because aside from buying commercial airtime, it doesn't seem like it crosses people's windscreens. Well, and, and even still with commercials, I kind of almost wonder, is like, is that even a thing of the past now with more streaming and things like that where people actually watching television? So my question is like, okay, you want you want to run a monthly show in Tulsa. Like, what's the best avenue for people to know? Because I always... I always laugh when I go to the, the BOK Center for like Raw or SmackDown, and there's what five to ten thousand people there conservatively. And if you run a indie show in the same town and you get two hundred, yeah, that's a success. That's a success, right? So, what what's the difference, right? Um, it's interesting you bring up the the streaming thing because I had not thought about that. I know that John uh, could quote you numbers. As far as how much uh, commercials cost on lot and area television and how much they cost at different times. Mm-hmm. And he could tell you when. He, he was he was actually the one who taught Mike 2 to a certain extent um, how, how to go about getting commercial package deals. So that you knew you were getting a commercial out there. On this station, this station, this station, at this time, this time, and this time. And that's how he did his stuff for Lawton Area Television. Mike came up, and he would run commercials. And he would always just run them once a month, the week of the show, when he was doing monthly stuff. He'd run them the week of the show. And he saw a significant increase, because there were times that, for whatever reason, it didn't run. And those shows were always down. When the commercial ran, it would go up. Now, that's 20... 15, 16. So sure. we are significantly forward from that. How do you make that work for the streaming community? I mean, I know they put commercials on things, but they're always like in-house commercials, right? They're pretty mm-hmm. much like you, before I watch an episode of Star Trek New Strange New Worlds, I'm seeing a commercial for some other Paramount Plus show. So I don't know how to crack which, that. Which is interesting because yeah. you're already on Paramount Plus, Right. Right. So why do you yeah. need a commercial for something that's already on there? To to draw you, I guess, you to something else that's and, and get the click on, well, on that, I suppose. I, I used to laugh because if I had Hulu, you know, there's the commercials, and you I'd see, like, two of the same one back-to-back. Mm. And I'm oh, like, okay. okay, well, what's, 
you know, give me some, like, again, if it's something on Hulu, it's kind of a weird advertisement because it's like, well, this is like, like, who's paying who for this? Like, this is a free in-house thing. But, yeah. but if you could somehow, as a wrestling company, say, like, oh, okay, I want to be able to broadcast to anyone who has Hulu in Tulsa, there's a wrestling show. Is that a possibility? I don't know. I'm just asking I'm questions. I'm not sure either. I, I would say it's probably more likely now that you can reach audiences through the more active social media aspect. Yeah. Um, like make, TikTok. Make a thing and... for TikTok. Uh, YouTube is still very very helpful, but uh, but and I'm 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 not a big broad spectrum social media kind of guy, so I'm I have to kind of go with what I hear people say about which ones. People like Sam Stackhouse and Drake Gallows and, and those are really very active on multiple uh, levels and multiple platforms of social media, and have found ways to draw attention to themselves uh, and to their particular channels. Twitch and TikTok, I know, are heavy ones that you can get a lot of eyes on and you can promote pretty heavily. But then I feel like people become kind of lazy and they think, okay, if I if I just if I channel towards this social media platform, I've done my work. Mm-hmm. And they, I think, but then don't now, now it's I, an everyday thing. Now I don't have to hand out flyers. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I, I remember t- working with a promoter back in the day, and uh, I'm sure you can guess who. But <laughs> he told me early on, I don't want to be a Facebook advertiser. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll put it on there, but that's not all I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm there with you. But when it actually comes down to now doing the physical legwork and going to, you know, places and handing out flyers and putting them on cars, that sucks. You know, <laughs> anyone who's ever done that, it's not, that's not ideal. No, it's and not, it's not a glorious job and it's, and, it's not an easy job. And anytime you've ever hung flyers, if anyone hasn't done it, you'll get no a lot, mm-hmm. you know, you'll go to a certain place. Like, no, we can't do that. No, we can't do that. It's like, okay. So then you start learning. Okay. I need to go to independent places, mom and pop shops, gas stations, you know, I remember hearing guys from Texas like hit up laundromats. They always let you hang. Oh, I never would have thought of that, you know. But that's interesting. I know yeah. But it's it's one of those things you kind of learn as you go with all of that. And you know, like, do you go to Walmart and hang them on cars? Yeah, they they might kick you out at a certain point. Like, so it, there's a lot of work, and that might not always in that moment necessarily produce more ticket sales. Right. So. It is kind of an interesting industry to try to make money at, which, like you said, is kind of the hard part. And so few people have successfully done that. And oftentimes there's compromises that have to be made. Mm -hmm. Um, If the rent is super high, then you book people and understand that they're not necessarily going to get paid as much as they want or possibly at all. I worked for a promoter in Oklahoma City who, uh, who came to us and said, look, guys, um, they're jacking the rent up on this building. If we're going to keep this building, and he had it was cool, like he had a building that was a very large, mm-hmm. and he ran training in it, and it was like it was a kind of a cool place. And he said, "But I'm going to have to to set this situation up where um, one one show a month is a paid show, and the other one is voluntary. Uh, and I'll understand if you don't want to come down for the voluntary one." And he still had a pretty decent amount of people who would travel down, even from up here. Like they, we'd load up a car, drive sure. it down there to save you know the money. Um, but even he eventually, like, they, they jacked the price so much up on that place that he was like, I can't I can't afford to stay here. There's no way I could draw in enough money that the prices that they're trying to charge me on. Perfect practice, I know, was not cheap. Um, I was shocked to hear the price. Yeah. Was, isn't it surprising? I mean, that, yeah. 
It's really, and then John owned his building in, in ICW, but he still well, I should say he was he had a mortgage on it, you know? right, and, right? And eventually he couldn't um, he couldn't maintain that, and so he's like, at last I heard he's rented out part of that area to somebody else mm-hmm. so that they're paying so he can keep a hold of it. I think he was trying to sell it at one point, but that didn't happen. Yeah. So yeah, you you have to prioritize and. I, I think a lot of promoters, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but you have to say, the, the promoter says, I can't have a show if I don't have a place. Right. So money has to start there, and then we'll look at what we can do. I think probably one of the, the one thing I've always wondered about promoters is when it comes to booking talent, for such a long time, it seemed like in, in, in Oklahoma, you showed up and you probably could get booked. On some of these shows, I would say almost all of them. You know, yeah. And if you have a pulse, yeah. <laughs> and, but like, if you like, if, if a carload shows up and and like in the car there are two people who are booked and they've said, "Hey, I brought so and so and so and so. Can you got a place for them?" I know there are promoters who would say, "Oh, I think we can figure something out here." As long as you there's know. no issue with licensing, for and, sure. Right? Yeah. And that is something that has at least for most of the places that I am now around. That is something that is no longer a much of a thing. I very rarely see people doing the "Hey, brother, brother, can you get my, my guy on here this one mm-hmm. time?" Um, and most of the places have—I'm not going to say necessarily increased, but they're more consistent with their paydays mm-hmm. uh, around. And I wonder if there's a relationship between this type of thing. I don't know. Could be. Could be. It's I don't know, it's an interesting business, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think – Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think the more you talk about it, the more you think like, hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if any of this is – Yeah, I don't know if any of this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think what's so interesting, you know, about this show, they call it, you know, it's fake, right? Because I think so few people truly understand it, right? I mean, I think so few people, they're not in it. I think a lot of it. people believe they understand it. I sure. can say – I think we can both say from personal experience, talking to people – in other areas of our lives who know that we're involved with this. And, like, I had a principal who was, grew up in somewhere in the northern portion of the U.S. where he grew up watching Vern's territory. Mm-hmm. And he could he would talk about the Crusher and he would talk about Dick the Bruiser and he would talk about Nick Bockwinkle and Vern. And he when he discovered that I was into this stuff, that he would want to, he would drop by my room and he'd be like, hey... I remember this one guy and he'd throw out a name to me. I'm like, yeah, I, I know that person. I'm, you know, and if I had an interesting story to tell about them, I'd tell about them. Um, and he kind of had a vague understanding of how, a superficial understanding of how certain things worked. Mm-hmm. And I pulled the curtain a little bit for him, but not excessively so. Um, but I noticed that, yeah, a lot of people... Uh, who who've never done anything but attend a show have allegedly come to this great realization of how all this stuff works. Not just necessarily even the mechanics of well, when you get in the ring and, and do what's in there, but like all the promoting, all the uh, all the the show writing, all of this stuff. Um, they just they know exactly how this this stuff works. And sometimes I listen and go, Yeah, you keep you keep believing that. That's that's good. Some somewhere 
I'm not going to say kayfabe is dead, but it's just changed. And, and it's, it's, no, 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 no. Uh, it's it's well, you know, because back in the day that was the whole different. thing, right? Like if we if we tell them this is a work, we don't make money. Mm-hmm. Now they've realized well, that's not really the case because there's still people involved that still love the business, but it's different now, yeah. right? I mean, we it's it's one of those weird things where people will always associate what someone does on TV as like, oh, that's who they are. It's like, no, that's a character, right. and like, and it's it's weird. You can take the most jaded person in the world and for whatever reason, like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like wrestling. It's, it's fake. It's not real. It's like, are you gonna go watch the new Marvel movie? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, well, what's yeah, the difference? Yeah, I've seen that argument so many times online, and I, I used to get drawn into it. I used to try to to go in and 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 say things like that, or or, or pursue it even further in. And eventually, I just—it's not worth your breath, yeah, though, right? It's not, it's not anymore. I am I just like, okay, I'm not, I'm not changing the world this way. I'm not ever going right. to remove this particular thought bubble from anybody. So just I scroll on by and, and go read something else that I'm happy with. I wish more people did that, right? You know, like <laughs> it's so weird nowadays how I think social media, I don't want to say it's changed the perspectives, but it's made it more obvious with certain people. Yes. And like you know, I see stuff all the time that I'm not a fan of. I just don't comment. Mm-hmm. I don't look at it. I don't I don't know. I don't it's weird how people live their life that way, I guess. Yeah. It's it's baffling. Yeah, yeah it's very high school. It is. It is. Extent. It is. Um, so as we kind of wrap it up here, like, are you still as big a fan as you were? Like, you still enjoy That's the business? That's funny that you asked that, because I was having this discussion with, uh, with somebody, and uh, I remembered going to dinner after an SRPW show around, I'm going to say, 2005, 2006. And uh, a guy named Cade Seidel was talking to me and he this was right after I pretty much was allowed into any locker room I like I wasn't going in on my own I still felt like an outsider so I would wait for somebody literally wait for somebody to say hey Bernard come here come in here and then I would go in um but I I wish real quick I wish more people had that that mentality because I feel like it becomes such a free for all, and I'm not saying I think like that's up to the to the people in charge of the of the locker room. No, I, I agree. I, I was I, I would just, um, just but you know what I mean. So many people that don't belong there. Yeah, travel through. I was working. A show. I'll get back. We'll get back to the story in a moment about Kate. I was um, I was down in Oklahoma City working uh, one of Carmine's uh, Lucha Americana shows, Carmine Despiritos Lucha Americana shows, and they had Blue Demon Junior on the show, and we were literally downstairs in. Uh, the farmer's market and the ring was one floor up. We had to go in an elevator to get up there and to go out and do this. And somehow or other, I don't remember why, there were a couple of occasions where a small group of fans came through our area to get to where they needed to go up there. And the first time, after the first time this happened, Demon came over and like called all of us together. And very, very, like, we're the only ones there. Lowers his voice and then says, um, we all need to to preserve the kayfabe here. So uh, anytime some, you see somebody coming through here that you don't recognize, just be very aware. Be very aware of what's happening. And if you don't recognize them, just, just um, kayfabe. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Sure. Um, and I remember kind of looking around because I got, I understood why he was saying what he was saying, but I was trying to gauge everybody else's 
reaction. And they were kind of nodding their heads and and were like, okay, and broke away. And then eventually later, here comes this other small cadre of people, and people were still like, here are these two that are planning out their match in front of them. And uh, like, well, okay, you tried, Demon. You really tried. Yeah. Um, it depends on who's in charge of of this of the locker rooms and making sure that that's a sanctuary for but, the wrestlers themselves that really should be yeah. where they are. So, okay, so the Cage Seidel story. So um, I'm at dinner, and I've... People know who I am, obviously, the, the wrestlers do. And Cade asks me, he says, is it, how do you phrase it? Is it hard for you to watch wrestling now that you know how it all is done? And I said, I watch it differently. Yeah. Do I enjoy it? Yes. I don't necessarily enjoy the same things about it that I did when I was watching as a teenager and and even because I didn't get like into things and into the locker rooms or such that I was in my 30s. Uh, watching as a teenager and watching as a 20, in my 20s, I just watch it kind of differently. I invest myself in people. If there's a storyline um, that I'm particularly compelled by, I'll, I'll watch that. But I honestly very rarely, unless I'm calling them, I very rarely watch any matches anymore. Because after watching wrestling for almost 30 years, I'm not going to say I've seen everything, but you really have to go out of your way to show me something that's going to, to compel me to stare at that screen and to watch what's going on in the ring. I'll listen to the announcers. I have announcers I like, and I have announcers I just want to mute all the time. Um, and I'll, I'll listen to promos. I love listening to promos, because that tells me everything about a character that I want to. But I don't really watch the matches, like, hard and fast anymore, uh, unless I'm calling them, or unless there's something about them that they're able to do to, to make go here, pay attention to me, mm -hmm. and, and watch what's going on here. So am I a fan? Yes. But not in the same way that I was growing up. Um, I, I really look at it in a very different, more analytical way. That, that's a very interesting answer. It's almost like it's background noise, right? To a degree. To a great degree, it can be, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, and it's so crazy because I was, much like you, I watched so much wrestling growing mm -hmm. up. And and now, I, I, I still feel like NXT had a part of that when I watch the same match literally the same match eight or nine times mm -hmm. in a row that's when you literally look up and you start counting ceiling tiles <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to knock any of the performers it's just like wasn't interested the first time the second time's right. not going to wow me you know what I mean yeah. and so I think it's it's an interesting industry and when you're around it so often and it almost becomes your job even though it's not your job but it, it kind of is it's the passion's there but it's different yeah if that makes sense yeah well, man, this has been a lot of fun catching yes, up with you on no, here. This is great. Do you have any uh, anything you want to plug or uh, well, obviously, people can find you? Obviously, um, if you want to know anything about professional wrestling in the state of Oklahoma, upcoming shows, history, everything of that nature, uh, go to www.oklafan.com. That's O-K-L-A-F-A-N.com. Uh, we do have a Facebook for that particular thing as well. I think we've got some other social media platforms, but I don't run them, so I honestly don't know what they are. Uh, I have my uh, work page, which is uh, facebook.com slash thefactman, F-A-C-T, factman. And uh, I'll promote what I'm going to be appearing on in that. 
Uh, as far as upcoming shows, um, I, I'll be in Tahlequah on uh, the 20th. I'll be in uh, for WFC up uh, at the Living Hope Fellowship on the 28th. I just got booked on a show in Oklahoma City at the Sky Zone Trampoline Park on Sunday. The They're doing a wrestling show there. They're going to do a wrestling show for about an hour at, from 8 to 9 p.m. Uh, down there. And I, I just got onto that one. Um, we've got the big summer send-off for Core Pro Wrestling at the beginning of June, on June 4th. Uh, and then UWO is doing the, uh, they're bringing back the Chris Crow uh, Memorial Cup, which uh, Chris Crow was the brother of Drake Gallows, passed away in an auto accident about 10 years ago. And uh, they're bringing back a, a tournament in his honor down there, and I'm sure I'll be involved in some way on that. And I, probably other stuff, I, I keep myself... I'm supposed to do something for this big convention that's happening at the end of June, the Oklahoma City Pop Convention, where they're bringing in a lot of uh, big names from the 80s, Ted DiBiase, Jake Roberts, Sergeant Slaughter, Bushwhacker Luke, and they're doing three wrestling shows that weekend. I'm allegedly <laughs> uh, booked on one of them, uh, but I haven't completely got the confirmation on that, so... I'll be there. I will be there one way or the other, whether I'm in the ring or or not. We'll see. But uh, but yeah, those those are all big things that are coming up for me. And as long as I'm able to get the places and continue to to be able to do what I do and continue to love doing it, uh, you'll see me around these shows as much as I can be. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming over. It was a lot of fun. All right. All right, I am back here to close up episode 78 of You Know It's Fake, right? Uh, with my guest, C.M. Burnham. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, he'll probably be another guy that's on the show again sometime down the road. I think it's really cool to uh, to have guys on for the very first time. It's the first time me and him have ever podcasted. And uh, it was a lot of fun to, to you know, to, to talk with him and hear all the stories. And I think it's cool to revisit guests after a little bit of time has passed and more or less kind of get an update from them, see what's new in their in their world, which is uh, which is something I really enjoy. So I'm sure he'll be coming on again somewhere down the road. Uh, my guest next week is another guy I have known for many years, but I haven't talked to. Man, I want to say we did a podcast. for It was on Breaker and Bain's Power Hour. I want to say it was around probably 2017, 2018. His name's Nick Cutler. And I first met him at a camp for Harley, for Harley Race, in, in 2014 maybe? So that, I mean, almost a decade now, when you actually put, like, you think about it, it's like, wow, it's 2022 now, it's been a long time, but Nick's one of those guys, he, he we're very much cut from the same cloth, like, anytime he tells a story, I, I kind of told him, I was like, I'm just sitting there nodding, and, and like, yes, yes, yeah, like, as he's talking, like, yes, I totally agree, so we've always gotten along well, and, you know, always followed each other on social media, and, and that's that's one of those things, like, social media gets a uh, black cloud above it a lot, probably very much deserved but you know I was telling Nick and, and some of the other guys you know I was like but if without that me and you would have never seen each other again most likely he lives around Indiana like I, I don't travel that way he doesn't travel out here but because of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the stuff I've followed him since that time and we, we you know we're not we don't talk a lot but when we do it's always been a positive conversation and he agreed to come on the show, and we had a great conversation. And to me, like that's what it's about. That's the cool thing about doing this podcast is reconnecting with old friends and 
sitting down and talking for 45 minutes to an hour and just having a really fun conversation. That's what it's about, and that's what I enjoy. So next week, my guest will be Nick Cutler. Stay tuned for that. It's going to be a great one. Uh, Make sure to check out my podcasting buddies, the Fully Posable Wrestling Figure Podcast. That was a great episode or a great show. Uh, two of my really good friends. In fact, I think Jeff will be coming up on a future episode of You Know It's Fake, right? He'll be coming back. Him and Scott have both been on episodes, so I'd like to have them both on again. But Jeff just talked with uh, Matt Cardona from fully uh, from the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. I don't want to dive too deep into it, but I think pe- everyone knows there's been some negativity there in the past. But I was really happy to see that. Because I think it's a prime example of we don't have to stay angry we can we can all move on and and he came on to talk about the new super 7 figures which if you're not a figure fan this may have slipped under the radar but you know super 7's a premium action figure line so they're already more expensive there was a lot of deco used on these and so the price increased and i guess they caught a lot of flack for it and he was just kind of setting the record straight, which I think is really cool. And him reaching out to Jeff to come on Fully Posable to make sure he talks to everybody, like, hey, guys, this is not our intention. We're trying to wipe out some of the negativity. I thought that that was a really, really cool thing. So they had a really good conversation. I listened to it yesterday. And um, I'm, I'm happy for the future of Fully Posable and the Major Pod. And I know uh, Matt sent an invite to Jeff and Scott to appear on their show, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. And check out Scott's side project, Drunk Wrestling History. Doing the Favor with Eric and Barry, the Positively Pro Wrestling Podcast with Steve and Eric, the Ringside Rant with RJ, the Leisure and Lariats Podcast with Ruthless Ryan Davidson, Boots of the Face with Marty and Rucker, Tales from the Estate with Drew Vinsel and his wife Caitlin, In the Marbles with Soda and Ethan. Oh my gosh, so many. I'm trying to remember them all through memory. Um, sorry if I missed you. Trivia with Buds with Ryan Buds, Wreck My Podcast with Jordan Zeilinger and his crew. Uh, Howlin' with the Wolf, the one and only Jason Wolf. I got a few episodes of his I need to catch up on. I got a package in from Jason Wolf while I was out of town. I was out of town um, all last week, and I uh, got some new Chop Shop figures. Um, if this is something you guys care about, I don't know. I think it's fun. I got uh, the Triangle of Terror. You guys remember them? Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa, and General Adnan. I got all three of them. Two versions. I got them in ring gear from like SummerSlam 1991, a match made in hell. I'm sure you guys remember. And then them in their uniforms hats, the whole deal. Super, super cool. And then I got a couple of customs. Like, I got a a Bob Spark Plug Holly. Always wanted him as a Hasbro. He's not had a lot of figures. I think the only one I can recall was um, the Jax Classic, if I remember right. And so, um, this was an interesting one. I got a head from Warsman and Tom Veg, who's his sculptor, got that. Then I got the... uh, the decals like for his for his singlet that he would wear from Curb Stomp City and Jason put it all together and it looks incredible. It's one of my favorite pieces. So um Bob Spark Plug Holly's in the collection. I also got a Trevor Murdoch. Got that head from Hederation. And then I got a Michael Myers, which is not a wrestler, but it was a fun custom to get. You'll see pictures of him soon. The head's from Customs Cave, who does a lot of heads that are not wrestling, more like pop culture or movies or comic books, so some definitely from some fun stuff from the Wolfman, and I got some more coming, and I'm very excited about it. Um, I'm trying to think of that. I think that's everybody on the uh, on the list. Oh, Night of the Nerdy Laser podcast, check them out as well. And, um, of course, my other podcast, Breaker and Bane's Power Hour, the flagship show every Sunday. Um, TV Toycast, we'll be making some news on that soon. We're, we're trying to, I'm trying to figure it out. I just got back in town, and so 
I need to kind of get my ducks in a row on how I want to do that moving forward, but I think it'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, that's about it. Uh, Bane and his music is doing very, very well. He's getting close to releasing something. I will let him do that when he's ready. But I know some new music from Bane's going to be coming soon, which I'm excited about because we saw the Freaks like single come out probably about, what, a year ago maybe? Maybe back in October? I could be wrong. But the last album was Bane of Mania. That was 2019. So I, I'm, I'm ready for it. I think it's time, and I, I know he's excited. I'm excited. I think it's awesome. I know all you guys love all Bane's tunes. He does the intro song for this show. The outro song, too. So, um, cool stuff. I'm, I'm ready for it all. Um, yeah, that's about it. Nick Cutler coming up next week. Uh, check out the other podcasts, like I said. I think I'm stalling for time. I don't know why, because... That's all I got. Thank you guys for checking out You Know It's Fake, right? And remember, as the great Johnny Valentine once said, I cannot make you believe that pro wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. I'm Brian Breaker. This is You Know It's Fake, right? And we'll see you guys next week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mr. Wonderful. Been around for a minute, and I can stand toe to toe with the best of the minute. Don't give a damn about critics, they talk a lot, but at the end of the night, I'm selling the tickets. All the tough guys avoid me, the ladies all adore me, paparazzi record me. I can put on a clinic, all my opposers are born.